Uh, if you have your Bibles, we'd love to have you open them to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, this is our second Sunday uh, of the new year here. We're in this series called All Things New, looking at uh, the book of Ephesians. But before we get there, let's just deal with some of the emotional baggage in the room. Everybody just big, big sigh about the Browns game last night. No, it doesn't, doesn't affect you at all. I'd be lying if I said it. I, I tell myself at the beginning of every season, don't let your emotional well-being depend on how well the Browns do. Right? You think, I'm 42 years old, my life has been full of disappointments, I would I'd be better. And I think I am getting better, but it's still like, oh, I was so hopeful, right? so hopeful. So, um, whatever, it's football, but so, uh, whatever you need to do to, you know, get over that, clear the air, and, uh, and be, re- yeah, yeah, let's move on. Um, <laughs> we're not that desperate, not that desperate. Uh, so we are, yeah, we're looking at this, this unbelievable gift to us, which is the book of Ephesians. And all of Scripture is a gift. But I hope, I hope you're finding just what God speaks to us through the Apostle Paul in this letter to the Ephesians is just like resonating with our hearts and being alive and inviting us uh, into this like way of life that is really life, that is like the fullness of life. And I hope you're, I hope you're feeling that. Because like what, um, what, like what's happening in this text and what Paul is trying to help the Ephesians and us understand is that in Christ, God is making all things new. Like that's what he's doing right now. Like in, in our day, in our lives, he is making all things new and it includes us. Like his work in us is like renewing us and turning us into like this new humanity, in Christ. He's teaching us from the inside out how to, how to be human in a different way because of who Jesus is. And we're learning how to live out of our identity that he's already given us. That Jesus has, has come among us, that he's, he's taken our sin, he's given his life for us, and he's given us a new identity. He's already given it to us. And so what we do when we gather like this on a Sunday morning is we're, we're learning how to be formed in that new identity, to live into it. And so I want to introduce you, because sometimes it's helpful to hear stories about people who you don't know, and I want to introduce you to this guy. Um, I've never met him, but um, his name is really fun to say, Friedrich von Bogelschwing. Bodel, Bodelschwing. Anybody guess what nationality he is? German, yes, von Bodelschwing. Bodelschwing, that's fantastic. So, um, and I got stuck with a name like Miller. So, um, anybody ever heard of this guy? Probably not. So he, um, you, you probably have heard of another German guy who lived around the same time as um, Friedrich von Bodelschwing. I'm just going to keep saying it numerous times. Uh, you've probably heard of Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Is that a name you're familiar with? Some of us, yeah. So they, were, they, they lived about the same time period. And this guy, uh, his dad, this is actually Friedrich von Bodelschwing II. So his dad um, was, was senior, and he started this organization in Germany in the late 1800s called the Bethel Foundation. And the Bethel Foundation was him, uh, his dad, responding to the needs around him and to what the Spirit was putting on his heart to start this community that would care for the most vulnerable people in society. And initially, it was those who had epilepsy. They had no place to go, nobody to care for them. So he's like, okay, like, 
We'll create a community of care for these folks. But then it, it began expanding to other people with other special needs um, and including children who didn't have parents. And so like this ministry just kept like expanding and expanding. And so uh, when a Senior passed away, Junior here took over. And um, God just continued to bless this Bethel Foundation in an incredible way. And so um, there's, a, there's a, a great documentary on Diedrich Bonhoeffer written by Eric Metaxas. And he talks about what happened to Diedrich Bonhoeffer when he went to the Bethel Foundation. And he started seeing what God was at work doing in this community that was caring for for, for the, the weakest and most vulnerable in society. And here's, like, here's how Eric Metaxas says it. It's so, so profoundly beautiful. He says, At the center were numerous hospitals and care facilities, including orphanages. Bonhoeffer had never seen anything like this. It was the antithesis to the Nazi worldview. So this is happening right as like, Nazism is rising in Germany. And it was the antithesis of that. This Nazi worldview that exalted power and strength. It was the gospel made visible. A fairy tale landscape of grace where the weak and helpless were cared for in a palpably Christian environment. That's beautiful, isn't it? It's like... All of a sudden, in the, in the middle of, like, you talked about these harsh conditions, Reuben, right? You know, and, and the weather can create that. But this world can create very harsh conditions. And there, could there ever be more harsh conditions than the rise of Nazism? This, this, this idea that there, there are people who are worth more than other people based on, on how they look. And there's, like, this, you know, this ubermensch idea of superhumans, and we need to get rid of everybody else who doesn't line up with that. That's the, the conditions. And in the middle of those conditions was, like, this little environment, this little sphere that existed in those harsh, harsh conditions, but it was different. And when you interacted, like, when Diedrich Bonhoeffer interacted with it, he's like, this is, like, this landscape of grace. It is it's beautiful, and it's compelling, and it invites us, like it invites us to live differently in that. And, and um, so, so uh, the, the leader here, Friedrich, I'm just going to call him Friedrich, he, um, they faced all kinds of pressure from the Nazi government. Several times the Nazi regime showed up at their door of the Bethel Foundation and said, we want you to turn over the care of all of these people to us. And they would, were planning to... Um, they were planning part of their, their routine was these what they called mercy killings. And here's Friedrich standing at the door and he says, you can't. I, I won't. Like, I will not get out of your way. These people have been entrusted to me. And here's what he says. He says, you can put me in a concentration camp if you want. That's your affair. But as long as I am free, you do not touch one of my patients. I cannot... Um, I cannot change to fit the times or the wishes of the Fuhrer, of Hitler. I stand under the orders of the Lord Jesus Christ. So just like this courageous, bold leader who, who stands in the way. And what they did, like as, as the Spirit was at work, they created this, this little environment, this sphere, a palpably Christian environment in the middle of all the hatred and all the violence and all the pain and all the darkness. There was this different value system, a different morality, and Jesus was in charge of it, and you could feel it. 
Right? It was this palpably Christian environment. And I think that is the vision of Ephesians. That's what Jesus is doing. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into. Like, what would it be like in the middle of whatever the harsh conditions are that we live in, if, like, when people interacted with the church, like, those who were formed around Jesus, they were like, something's different. There's, like, this little environment of grace, and Jesus is in charge. And, and we could feel it, and it, it stirred us and invited, invited others to, to join it. Like, I think that's, that's what we're doing. That's what we're called into. That's what Jesus is wanting to do among us, to create this kind of um, grace landscape among us. So we are choosing. Like, we're here this morning, whether you're here for the first time or, or um, whether, like, this is a regular part of your life. Like, the, I think the reason we're here is because we're choosing Jesus. Like, we're saying, man, I want to live in that. I want to be a part of that. I want to give Jesus authority to shape my life and, and to, you know, to, like, him... Frederick saying, I, I stand under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, that's what we're choosing to do when we gather on a morning like this. So what we want to do is we want to, like, we want to give this text space to speak into our hearts. So we're going to look at Ephesians 4, verses 25, and we're going to go all the way to Ephesians 5, verse 2. And, and we kind of started this last week, but there's this rhythm of putting off the old way of life, and putting on the new identity in Christ. And so it's like as we come into this environment of grace, we, we have to unlearn some things. We have to unlearn our old way of living out there in those harsh conditions. And we have to learn now how to, how to live in this grace. Are, are you with me? And so that's, that's what Paul's going to teach us. And so here's a couple of things he says. We're just going to move through this verse by verse. Verse 25. He says, okay, so therefore each of you must put off falsehood. And speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. So, so let's begin there. Like the first thing he says in this is like, okay, first thing you're going to have to do is like put off lying, put off falsehood, and learn how to speak truth to each other. Put off lying, put off anything that's false, and speak the truth. Have you ever had someone say to you, lying is the way to go? Can you imagine a parent like sitting their child down and just being like, okay, Susie, um, I'm going to give you my best advice here, life lesson. Be the best liar you can be. Learn how to lie, learn how to deceive, learn how to cheat, and, and just like get your advantage in any way you can, and that's the way to make your mark on the world and to make the world a better place. Can you imagine a parent saying this? Hopefully the answer is no, right? Has a parent ever said this? I don't, I don't think so. Generally, parents are pretty upset when they catch their kids lying. I mean, how do you, how do you feel when, like, you know, a, a child, your kid lies to you or a friend or somebody lies to you? Like, oh, man, it feels like it's betraying us. Are you with me? Why? It's because everybody knows that lying, that lying is not the way to make the world a better place, that truth is a better path, Right? I mean, we just know this. We know this now, deep inside. And so, um, and yet, people are prone to lying. Like, we all know that it's not, it's not the best way forward. And yet, we're prone to it. Every child knows how to lie. You don't have to teach them, but they have to be taught how to speak the truth. 
right? It's just like there's something, there's this fascinating passage in, in Jeremiah. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says this, the human heart is deceitful above all else. Like who can understand it? So there's something about the human heart in its like our sinful condition that is prone to deceit. What is deceit? It's like presenting a false vision of itself, not being truthful. So like our hearts are naturally deceitful. And we see this all around us. You guys remember the Lance Armstrong thing a couple years ago? So Lance Armstrong, greatest cyclist in the world. He's never used performance enhancing drugs. Like, I promise I've never used performance enhancing drugs. He's every major media outlet categorically denying I've never used performance enhancing drugs. Evidence mounts to a point where like he can't deny it anymore. Yeah, like I did. But everybody else was doing it too, right? So you just like you, you, you deceive people and you lie until the pressure mounts too much and then you come clean and you can't do it anymore. This is what happens. Like, this is, this is the, the world we live in and it's just kind of like, unfortunately, it's acceptable behavior. We see it in politics. Like, these are my views, these are my views, these are my views, this is where I stand until popular opinion changes and it's like, oh, by the way, I, like, I don't hold those views anymore. Like, in some ways, politics is a form of deception. Like, right? It's just like, it's trying to keep with the public opinion. That's, unfortunately, that, that is often what it resorts to. And so we see it in the world around us, but we also see it in ourselves. Deceit. Hey, did you, did you do that? No, like, no, I didn't do that. Did you say that thing? No, I, I didn't say, I, I didn't say that. Right? And we just kind of like, whew, we just kind of shift the blame a little bit. So there are these outright lies, or we make excuses of like, oh, hey, I, like, I, I meant to do that thing, but, you know, like this, we, we kind of make excuses that shift the blame away from us. Or there are these little subtle lies, like maybe, maybe you resonate with something like this, like you're watching YouTube, and you're on the couch, and then you hear somebody walk in the room, and you quickly like close down YouTube, and you turn it off, and you pretend like you've been working hard the whole time. Or uh, maybe you haven't flossed in five months and three weeks, and you have a dentist appointment coming up, and so you floss every day for the last week, and then your dentist asks you, like, have you been flossing every day? Yes, I have. (laughs) Every day for the last week. Um, Or maybe it's late at night, and you, like, open the freezer, and you're, like, sneaking some ice cream, right, out of, spoon right out of the container, and then you hear somebody coming and you quickly close it and grab like a handful of kale or something like that. You're just like, oh no, it's like, you eat kale with a spoon? What are you doing? You ever, anybody like do this stuff? Why do we do this stuff? Like, what are we doing when we lie? Like, just these little deceits. Like, what, what are we doing? And you might say, oh, that's not a big deal. And yet, what we're doing is we're trying to make ourselves look better than we really are. There's this real version of ourselves. I'm the kind of guy who doesn't floss except for the last week. But I want to appear like I'm the person who does it all the time, right? And so there's like this, it's deceitful. There's who I really am, but it's who I want other people to think that I am. And that's what we're doing when we lie. And we're tempted to do this in a thousand different little ways every single day. And we're tempted to do it in in the church. To just bring that like falsehood and deception and lying, to bring it right into this like little community of grace that we're a part of. And Paul's saying, okay, so we have to unlearn how to do that. And we have to learn how to speak the truth, to each other. And, and you might say, oh, hey, there are lots bigger issues than lying. Can we talk about some real problems? But I think there's a reason Paul begins with this, right? Because it's, it's really, really important. The New Testament has some really important things to say about lying. 
I mean, for example, these are the words of Jesus, and Jesus is talking to religious leaders, and religious leaders who were kind of hypocritical. They were deceitful, right? They, they were corrupt on the inside, but presenting this, like, righteous holiness on the outside. And here's what he says to them. I mean, Jesus, like, wasn't always nice. He was always truthful, always kind, but he wasn't always nice. Listen to what he says. He says, you belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. All right, this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. Like, what language does the evil one speak? Lying. And so when I lie, when we lie, when we speak falsehood, we're actually speaking the evil one's native language. That's a big deal deal. That's scary stuff. Um, In Revelation 22, there's a picture of like this, you know, the the environment of grace that God is doing. It ends up like taking over all of creation. It expands. But yet there are people who are outside who have chosen never to come into this environment of grace and be redeemed by Jesus. And they've chosen not to. And the people who are on the outside are those, among others, who practice falsehood. Everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, it's like, I don't want the truth. I don't want to be seen for who I really am. <clears throat> Think about this for a second. If I'm the person who lies, if I'm a person who just like lives in deceit, and, and they're little, and they grow, and I become more and more comfortable with untruth, I become more and more comfortable with deception, that is an incredibly scary thing because I begin hiding who I really am. And if I'm hiding who I really am, then I can't be seen. Like, the real me can't be seen. And if the real me can't be seen, the real me can't be known. And if the real me can't be known, then the real me can't be loved. And if the real me isn't loved, I will never find peace in my life. This is a big deal. Like, if, if, we're, if, we, can't be, if we can't be known, we can't be seen. If we can't be seen, we can't be loved. And if we can't be loved, we won't, we won't find meaning. And, and the thing is, like, God loves us. His love is constant toward us, but I can't feel that when I'm deceptive, when I'm denying who I really, I really am. So this is like, this is a big, big deal. And the Apostle John says it this way. He says, speaking of 1 John, Reuben, right? The Apostle John says it this way. If we walk in the light as God is in the light, as he is in the light, then we will have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Right, so if we, like, if we move from like, deceit and darkness and we move into the light and we just come clean about, okay, this is who I really am. I wish I was different, but I'm not. Like, this is the real me, and I'm seen, and I'm known, and I receive the love of God. Well, then we have fellowship with each other. Like, we can be known and we can be seen. Now, the word fellowship does not mean eating finger foods and hanging out together. We're going to have some food, fun, and fellowship tonight. Like, right, that's great. But that's not like what the word means. The word uh, fellowship is this word koinonia, and it's like intimate connection. It's, it's like the bonds of love. It is being seen and known and loved. And it's fellowship with each other that heals our deceitful hearts. It's like actually being, being real with one another. When, when you're in a community of grace, it's like there's no reason to run and hide. There's no reason to hide who you really are. Um, that this, um, this is the truth. Can I tell you who I really am? I am the kind of person that required the death of Jesus to save me. If you didn't know that about me, like, now you do. So maybe you don't want me to be your pastor anymore, right? Like, 
I'm the kind of person that like, whew, I, like Jesus died to save me. And that's what the church is. Like the church is the community of people that says it is by grace that we are saved. We are all the kind of people who say, you know what? Like I, don't, I can't save myself. I can't fix myself. I am here just like by the grace of God. And when we step into that and we step into the light and we begin to walk in that light, in that honesty, then we can like, we can have grace for each other. We can say, of course, like, of course we blow it. Sometimes, of course we mess up, but we're going to be honest with each other and we're going to speak the truth in love to each other. And we create this honest community of grace where people are actually healed from untruth and deceit where people can be fully seen, fully known, and, and fully loved. How are we doing? Do you want to be belong to that kind of community? I do. I, can, I think that's what God wants LifeBridge to continue to be, this honest, this honest community where we are healed by love, by God's love and our love for each other. So maybe there's a moment of truth, right? There's like these moments of truth. And so like any time... Anytime you're tempted to lie, and maybe it's like been so normal you don't even realize it anymore, but anytime you're tempted to lie, anytime you're, 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 you're tempted to practice this small deceit to make yourself look better, anytime you're tempted to like try to hide something, just be very, very aware. Um, be, bring it into your awareness. Anytime you're tempted to like clear your search history, right? Ask yourself like, am I the kind of person who wants to hide part of who I really am? Am I the kind of person who wants to like engage in behavior that like at some level I know like I'm, I'm kind of ashamed of it and I don't want people to know this and I want to hide it. Do I want to be more and more that kind of person or do I want to be the kind of person who lives and walks in, in light and in truth and who can like let others in and, and when I'm struggling and when I'm tempted, I, I open myself up to others to like walk with me and speak to me and there's a community of grace where we can actually be healed. Be very, very cautious of these untruths that, that, that can just kind of creep in. This is what Paul says. Be, put off falsehood, speak truthfully to each other. So that's the longest one. It's not going to be kind of that long as we like look at all these verses. Um, how are we doing? Is it, is it, I realize there's like some heavy stuff. This is real stuff. Um, and it, it gets kind of to the heart of things. And so um, Paul goes on and he says this, verse 26 and 27. So in your anger, do not sin. And don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. So don't give the devil a foothold. So if you're going to live in this community of grace, this environment of grace, like, okay, you got to learn how to like get rid of anger. In your anger, don't sin. Now, does he say anger is sin? He doesn't, right? He's okay. He doesn't say that, but he's like, in your anger, don't sin, which means anger can lead us to sin very quickly, right? There's something about anger that like whew, leads us to sin. So get rid of it as quickly as possible. Do you have triggers? Like, what are your triggers? People driving slow, like in traffic, cutting you off, right? Bad drivers is one of my triggers. Um, those like, I was telling somebody, I spent, like, so much of my week, like, just trying to, like, problem solve with, like, different organizations where I can't actually talk to somebody in a customer service department. And, like, I get so, I get so angry. I get more angry than I should. <sighs> so, just, like, vent that. I know what your triggers are. Um, but would you like to be less triggered? Would the people around you like you to be less triggered and less angry? Would, like, your environment, your family be better like if you didn't have, if you had fewer angry reactions, 
Like, I think, like, for some of us, like, maybe anger is the thing. Like, it's, it's kind of this, like, this thing that we, we hold on to. So anger isn't sin, but it can lead us to sin very quickly. Dallas Willard says it this way, anger is like a headache that tells us something's wrong. See, headaches are like an indication, like, what's wrong? Like, maybe I'm tired, maybe I'm dehydrated, whatever. So anger is like this, like, it's like a dashboard light that comes on. And oftentimes, you, people say, like, well, I'm angry because of, like, this, there's a problem. There is injustice. There's something that is causing pain, and I'm angry at that thing, right? And it's good and right to feel angry at injustice. Like, when people are stomped on and, and pushed aside, like, there's an anger that we, I think, naturally feel, and so sometimes we like, well, okay, but my anger is righteous anger. Have you ever been angry and haven't felt righteous? Anger is self-justifying. Like when I'm really angry, of course, I'm right and you're wrong. And like there's something about anger that makes us feel righteous all the time. And then we very quickly, we very quickly do things, say things that we regret. That's why anger is so dangerous. So Dallas Willard goes on to say this. So what we say anger is the energy for action. Well, I'm going to like work for justice because I'm angry at injustice. But anything you can do with anger, you can do better without it. And that's wisdom right there. If you're motivated by anger, like, don't, don't let the anger go. Because, because anything you can do with anger, you can do better without it. The, the Apostle James says it this way, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Like, God desires, like, a healing righteousness. And our righteous indignation, righteous anger, is just going to produce pain and brokenness, and it's going it's to bring damage to the world. Human anger can't produce the righteousness God desires. So, um... Be aware, like, of anger in your heart. And, and the Apostle Paul's like, hey, don't let the sun go down while it's still angry. Like, just name it. Realize, like, okay, there's something wrong here. Something's broken. Something's off. Name your anger. Try to figure out the source of it and drop it like it's hot. Get rid of it. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Or you tend to give the devil a foothold, right? Like, the enemy can, like, get in to that angry space and start causing problems and start causing start causing all kinds of damage in relationships. Um, the, the image here that Paul is painting is like in this community of grace formed around Jesus, allow your anger to move you toward reconciliation wherever possible. So if you find that yourself feeling angry, name it. Like don't hide it, don't repress it, but, but name it. Like, you know what? I'm angry right now. Why am I angry? Well, I feel like there was this, this thing, this injustice, this thing that went wrong. Somebody hurt me or hurt somebody else and I'm angry about it. Okay, like God, I, I release my anger to you. And how do I move toward this other person in love with the goal of reconciliation wherever possible? That's what a community of grace does. Now, reconciliation isn't always possible. Reconciliation isn't always appropriate. Like, sometimes the offenses are such that, like, the, the relationship should not, like, it's not safe to be reconciled. And yet, most of the time, reconciliation is possible and is the outcome. And so this is what the community of faith does. We let anger move us toward reconciliation wherever possible. Verse 28. So, okay, so we got lying, put off lying, put off anger, work to a reconciliation. Verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they will have something to share with those in need. So Paul assumes there are people in the church, in this community of grace, that have been stealing, like that that's been the thing. For, has anybody ever stolen something? Yeah, I remember as a kid, I stole this little... I stole this little um, matchbox car from a friend, and then I'm like playing with it, and my dad saw it, and I'm, 
where'd you get that? And then it's like, oh, am I going to lie to cover up the stealing or whatever? And I eventually, like, I don't remember how it all went, but I had to come clean. How does it feel when you get caught stealing something? Not so good, right? And then I had to go back. I had to apologize. I had to, like, you know, make it right. And so, like, the humility. But it's, right, it's also, it's healing. When somebody looks at you and says, like, ah, I forgive you. Like, okay, there's healing in that. So Paul assumes that, like, in the church, there are people who have, like, had this practice of stealing things. He's like, okay, that's, like, that's the way of, of like, this, this environment out here. It's not the way of this community of grace. And so you have to, like, you have to put away stealing and live differently. And, and what he says is, like, the person who is stealing, like, okay, let's stop stealing. But what does he tell us to do? Work with your hands. So that what? You'll meet your own needs. It doesn't say that. It says, so that you'll have, what does, it, what does the text say? Sorry, that's uh, one slide back, maybe. I don't have that slide? Oh, my bad. Sorry, Josh. So, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands so that they will have something to benefit those in need. What's stealing about? Stealing is saying, my needs are more important than yours. I am willing to take from you to meet my needs. It's grabbing. I had a friend who used to say it's a five-finger discount, right? It's using your hands to grab something that doesn't belong to you. What's the new way of life Paul's inviting us to? It's not grabbing, saying my needs are more important than yours. It's this open-handed giving that says I'm going to work, I'm going to be productive, I'm going to do something useful with my hands so that I can have something to benefit those who need it. If you think, like, for, for people who I know who, like, have, like, klepto tendencies, who are, like, stealing, there's, like, an adrenaline rush to it. There's, like, a, a whole thing, right? It's, it's an addiction. And so it's, like, you know, because you might get caught, and you're using your hands, and you get really slick with your hands. And so Paul, like, seems to know that. And he's, like, okay, don't use your hands to steal anymore. But if you want a real thrill, like, you want a real adrenaline rush? Like, work. Contribute to the well-being of, of your community and society. Use your hands to work and then open your hands to be generous to those who need. That is going to light a fire inside of you much more than stealing. Are you with me? It's this whole new way of life. Not, not grabbing, but giving. How are we doing? I realize, like, this is, like, this is kind of a dense text. You guys, is this okay? Are we, are we doing okay? All right. So, um... Verse 29, so don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it can benefit those who listen. So Paul's like saying, okay, like words have power. Understand your words have power. Your words have the power to build somebody up or to tear somebody down. And so make sure like your words in this community of grace are, are going to build other people up. And he's, he uses this word. He's like, so don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Like what, what does that mean? The word is actually rotten. It's like, don't let rotten talk come out of your mouth, but, like, use words that are going to give a gift to somebody. Have you ever been cleaning out your refrigerator? And there's always that one piece of fruit that you missed the last time you cleaned the fridge out. And you know it because you just, there's like a ripe smell coming out of the fridge. And it's usually for us, it's an orange but it's green or blue or some, you know, kind of neon. Are you with me? I have daughters who despise mold, so I usually make them clean out the fridge. That's what loving fathers do. 
Um, now, can you imagine, like, you find that, that, that rotten fruit in the back of your refrigerator, and you're like, you know what I'm going to do with this. I'm going to give it as a gift to my friend. And your friend is like, oh, I didn't know oranges came in blue. This is, this is fantastic, right? This is so good. Can you imagine this? This is Paul, what Paul is saying. Is like, this is like when you speak rotten things, you're introducing rot into another person's life. And so the gift you are giving, it like, it's going to tear them down and it's going to introduce rot into the community. And it's like, all right, like, don't talk that way anymore. Um, but let your words speak life. And, and Jesus um, Jesus says it this way in, in Matthew 12. He's like, for out from the mouth, excuse me, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So if I find myself like speaking in ways that bring rot into somebody else's life, that don't build them up, that don't encourage them, that aren't good and true and noble and right, then I ask myself like, what's going on in my heart that I would say something like that? Right? Because my, my words come from the wellspring of my heart. And so Jesus is saying, okay, so like what's going on in my heart? And we just like let the light of Jesus shine on our hearts and say, Jesus, like sort this out because I don't want this to stay in my heart. I don't want that like rotten stuff in my heart. And we, um, we bring it into the light of Jesus so he can heal us. So this is this, is this community of grace way of being. It's, it's words that give gifts to other people. Verse 30, he says, and so don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God for which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Like there are these behaviors that kind of they grieve the spirit of God. God's spirit lives in you. God's spirit lives in the church. And, and there's this way of, of living that the spirit, you can almost imagine the spirit being like, oh, like gut punch. Right? That's, oh, that's not who you're called to be. That's, that's not the way of life I'm calling you to. That the spirit of God can be, can be grieved. And the, the reality is like you're the temple of the living God. Right? You like individually, and then you as a church, like you're the temple of the living God. So don't like, don't hurt the temple. Don't deface the temple. Don't bring rot into the temple. And like when I was a kid, we'd run in church and be like, protect the temple of God, you know, or like you stand on the pews. And it's like, this is a building. These are just chairs. Like, you know, this is just a building, but you are not just a person. The person sitting beside you is not just a person. You are a temple of the living God. And so we treat each other that way, and we treat each other in the church in that way, and we don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God because you have an eternal destiny. The Spirit is like sealed you for the day of redemption when Jesus is going to come and he's going to make all things new, and he's going to redeem and restore all things. Like that is your eternal destiny, so live into that destiny. That is what Ephesians is calling us to. And so he ends this, and he says, so verse 31, so get rid, like just Dump it, throw it out. Any bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with any form of malice. Like, just get rid of that stuff as quickly as you can. And on the alternative, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Like this is, this is the, the new identity. And then we're going to end with this, verses five, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. So in all things, and here's the principle. Like, this is the overarching principle of this whole thing. He says, follow God's example, therefore. Be imitators of God. And as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So if you want just the principle, like you just want the quick Cliff Notes version, you're like, Eric, why didn't you just say this from the beginning? Learn how to live in love. That's it. Like all of this stuff, 
all the, like, the details of like, the, the falsehood and the, the anger and the unwholesome talk and <clears throat> bitterness, rage, malice. It's just like that is unloving behavior. It's not the way of Jesus. And so the whole invitation is learn how to live in love. Learn how to live in the love that God showed us. And we don't have to try to figure out what love looks like. We can just look at Jesus because Jesus is the embodiment of God's love. We follow his example and we walk in the way of love. This is, as a part of a community of faith, this is what we're learning. We're going to learn together, learning how to live in love. Just like Christ loved us and gave himself up for us and he gave us a new identity. He, he showed us a new way to live and we are learning how to follow his example. So what do you need? Like from, from this text where Paul is just kind of like fleshing out, all right, church, to be this alternative fairy tale landscape of grace, you're going to have to learn how to live in love. Put off these things, put on these things. Which of these things do you need to hear this morning? Like is, is there one of these that like resonates um, with, with your heart this morning? Is there like, is there truth that, that you're like needing to hear? To just like, wow, okay, yeah, if I'm real honest, I've been like hiding, strategically hiding parts of my life, and I feel shame, and I feel like, ah, if, I, if people really know who I really am, I'll, I'll never be accepted, and so I'm going to hide these things. And the invitation of Jesus is just like, would you, would you trust grace, and would you just step into the light, and would you just be real and honest and true? Because like, we are all people that Jesus died for. That's our identity. We are people that Jesus died to save and redeem and give us a new identity. So we, of all people in the world, we should be the most gracious. We could say amen to that. Thank you, Joel. Yes. If we were a Pentecostal church, somebody might say amen to that. So truth. Maybe it's anger. Like maybe you've just been like harboring anger. You've been motivated by anger. And I just need to be honest. Like I've had, lot, I, I've had friends in the past who, who I watched be motivated toward like good things by anger and I watch them just become like angry activists and I watch them like run out of steam because like righteousness can or uh, human anger cannot produce the righteousness that God desires it can't it, it will end up leading us to more damage and more brokenness so maybe like you've been harboring anger in your heart and anger has been your motivation for things and and the invitation today is release that release that let anger move you toward reconciliation wherever possible maybe you need to go talk to somebody be like wow you're like okay like there's something broken here and i want to mend it like can we you know can we build build a, a a new relationship where there's been pain in the past maybe it's stealing like maybe you're maybe it's not like physically stealing but you have a posture of grabbing what doesn't belong to you you just like kind of grabbing what other what doesn't belong to you and the invitation of Jesus today is like would you open your hands in generosity would you live in a new way a new posture open-handed generosity I believe that God's word is living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Like it, it's like a scalpel that can kind of cut these things away from us delicately like a surgeon does when we, have, when we have something inside of us that needs to be removed. And so God's word can do this. And I believe like if we give it space, he, he will do that. And maybe he's doing it in us this morning. Don't, like here, here's my last word here is don't delay. Like maybe this is your moment of truth. Like don't, like, don't put it off and say, like, okay, I'll, like, I'll, I'll deal with that sometime. Just, like, deal with it. Just bring it into the light of God. So we, we, last week I introduced a prayer, and we're going to end with this, this prayer again, living into the new identity that God has given us. And so I'm just going gonna, gonna to pray, pray this for us. You don't, you don't have to, to say it, but you can just kind of quiet your heart. 
and pray this in your heart. God, thank you that I'm not who I used to be. Thank you that you saved us. You blessed us. You showed us mercy. You brought us close. You chose us, died for us, and set us free from slavery to sin and death. Help us put away anything and everything that, doesn't, that belongs to our old selves. Help us live into the life you've given us. And with your help, we will choose to put on the new self that you created us to be. Renew our minds, fill us with your spirit, and make our hearts soft and responsive to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.